This is the Risky Mix podcast, where we speak with those people changing the mix in the financial services industry. Addressing those challenging topics, embracing diverse perspectives and bringing authentic conversation. Our aim is to inspire and motivate the finance sector towards change, creating an inclusive industry that we can all be proud to be a part of. A couple of weeks ago, we were joined by Anu Mantri, Director of Business Development at Bright Network, and two graduates who spoke about their experiences starting in the world of work. Today, we're thrilled to welcome Anu back to speak more about Bright Network in more detail, and in particular, the power of data in supporting companies to recruit in a more diverse and inclusive way. Thanks so much for joining us again on the Risk and Mix podcast, Anu. Thank you so much for having me back. It's great to be here. Brilliant. So shall we dive in with um, another icebreaker question? So can you tell us what you're passionate about? Oh, wow. Okay, this is a big question. Um, Okay, so I think just based on on what I've chosen to do with my life since I left university, (laughs) um, I started working as a teacher with Teach First, and then I worked um, with Teach First, the charity, uh, looking at recruiting more teachers. And then I I sort of found this wonderful place called Bright Network, where I now work, but it's all about supporting young people. So I think Mm -hmm. the key theme that runs between that is just passionate about young people and opportunities. And I I think just to cut this very kind of succinctly, it's probably because when I was at school, when I was thinking about university and when I was at university, And I'm sure that lots of people will agree with this. You don't often know, A, what paths are out there, what to even do and how to get there. But I just wanted to make a difference to as many people as possible. And actually here at Bright Network, we we have the ability to do that at scale. So um, sorry, Raj, for the long-winded answer, but there you go. That's (laughs) amazing. What did you you study? I studied history. I studied history and I studied it and I remember my mum saying to me, so I'm Indian and my parents are Indian, both of my parents are doctors. So um, they were very much like, (laughs) I know the pain. (laughs) They were like, do what you must, do what you enjoy. (laughs) So um, really supportive. But I studied history and my mum was like, well, you know, the prime ministers often study history. And I thought, right, well, there there we go. That's me. (laughs) Setting the bar nice and low, right? (laughs) Thanks, mum. Great. That's your path set out. Okay. Brilliant. Um, honey we, we we touched a little bit on bright network of course in the last episode when when you joined us which was great um but for kind of listeners who are coming into this one afresh perhaps you could um tell us more about the business what does it do what's what's its mission Absolutely. So uh, Bright Network has been around for the best part of a decade now. Our CEO and founder, James Uffendale, um, launched Bright Network um, at the point where he was in the position where he was in his final year of university, going through university at Oxford and actually looking around at his peers, thought, how does everyone know how to get an internship? How does everyone know even what career they want to go down? So he thought, okay, it's it's most likely because they have networks around them. So how can we create a network that is free to access, available to all um, and really targets everyone, regardless of their background? So he launched Bright Network. Ten years later, it brings us to where we are today. We are um, the number one careers network in the UK, which we're so proud about. And what that means in practice is we support young people who are thinking about going to university, who are at university, or who've graduated from university to make the best choice in their first step of their career. So 
whatever advice, insights and guidance they need, um, we support our students. Um, and just on the other side of that, we couldn't do any of that without the support of our wonderful employer network. So there's two sides to, to what we do. It's essentially um, a wonderful matching exercise with employers and the graduates that they want. That's fantastic. And how did you grow that employer network? Yeah, so we, I think, traditionally started off working with city institutions. So banks, law firms, the wonderful world of insurance came next. Um, And it's, I think it's where employers really saw that there was a need to to rectify this underrepresentation. If you look around the city, even now sometimes, you'll see that there's um, a certain demographic that that fills boardrooms. Um, and actually, it's because of the the willingness of employers to to think differently and to want to make change that we've grown this network. So we've now expanded into the world of FMCG, tech, um, SMEs, um, you name a sector where we essentially work there, which is really exciting because yeah. in the last six years since I've been here, I remember joining when the business was a team of about nine, uh, when we had around 40,000 members. And at that point, that seemed huge. But now we've hit the the half a million milestone, which is, um, it blows yeah. our minds. Um, so, so yeah, there's been lots of growth in the last few years. I suppose from a, from a kind of a, a corporate perspective or you know thinking from an organization's perspective what should they almost what's kind of the main point they should take away in terms of who bright network are you know there are a lot of kind of um recruitment type businesses out there right and and if there was one thing you wanted companies to take away from from this like why should they come to you yeah so thinking about bright networks usps and um, so i think i'd start with saying that you're right, this market is noisy. And what we are not is a jobs board. We encourage our employer partners to think about recruitment in a really data-driven way. So giving them the tools to make really robust decisions about who they recruit and how they find and attract people so that they're not just hiring the same type of person, so that they're thinking outside the box. And, And what that looks like in real life is exploring universities that might be outside of the target list or Mm -hmm. thinking about where can you find those hotspots of talent around the UK cold spots where actually recruiters might not have had um, the thinking to go and visit previously because it wasn't in in the specific locations that were on the target list. So really in short, it's to be focused, it's to be data-driven, which actually in thinking about it is a cost saving why when I was at uni did we have loads and loads of recruiters running around different campuses um having teams on the ground having stands giving out shower radios and all sorts of things when actually you can be very focused and personalized with your messaging that makes loads of sense and I think the de- let's come on to the data point because I remember yeah. when I first um spoke with you and learned about Bright Network I was blown away by just the sheer number of data points you have on on candidates and really what people are looking for and, and all of the kind of DNI aspects as well flowing through. I mean, talk to us about, yeah, I suppose why data's been core to your kind of business offering. And it would just be great to understand as, as an organization, you know, what what do they get to see? How much how much information can you can you provide there? Yeah, sure. Um so in terms of the data, I think the 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 real shout out goes to our tech team who built us some beautiful tools to show us a representation of exactly who's on our network and all of that population of 500,000 people in one place. Um, There's that beautiful tool I showed you, Katie, um, and for for the purposes of our listeners today, essentially allows you to dive into the network and then segment based on 
what is um, a student declaring that they are? So for, in my example, I would be female, studied history, went to Leeds and an ethnic minority. And the example I always use is I don't want to be targeted for any of those reasons. What I want to be targeted for is what am I actually doing and engaging with on the Bright Network platform? Because of the logged in data that we capture on our platform, can we have a look at how students are interacting with particular employers in particular sectors um, and all of these data points I think we capture around 100 million of them which is, is so extreme um, wow. a number wow. but it just goes to show that that is the value of the data that we capture we can then pinpoint really really bespoke segments um, to target on the behalf of employers so a quick example of that um, I had a meeting the other day with uh, a great employer who was thinking, right, how do we really get in front of the individuals that just never apply to us? We, we're seeing no applications from any black members or, or black grads at all. We see very few applications from people who either haven't been to a private school or mm-hmm. who have been to a grammar school, but but nothing really from, from a free school meal or a first gen to university or a state school background. So they came to us with that problem. And what we could easily do is, is put this beautiful tool in front of them and say, right, okay, let's have a look at the network. Let's really think about who's interested in financial services or insurance. Let's then pick out the female members that we have engaging in the last few months or even in the last few weeks. Then let's have a look at who's digested a particular piece of content. And even though they're studying law, actually, they're really interested in financial services. Um, So the analogy I always use, which may or may not go down well, is it's almost like Big Brother, but the less creepy version, because our members know that we're targeting them. They want to be targeted because of this. And actually, it helps their overall career. Did Out of interest, was there kind of, did something... So out of that, I suppose, that case study, did something come out of the the data that kind of clicked and was like, oh, we're, we're either advertising in the wrong place or like, why weren't they appealing to, to black candidates? It's a really good question. Um, and I think it's often a question that employers really just don't have the answer to unless they go and do surveys on the ground or, or can and come to us and, and access this kind of data. In this particular case, I think it was um, a mixture of things. So first and foremost, when we actually ran the recruitment process for them, when they were encountering questions from either black uh, students or those from social mobility backgrounds, they were asking questions in the recruitment process, like how do I prepare for my assessment centre? One of the students, I remember this really vividly, um, called our recruitment team and said, okay, I've got this presentation. How do I take it to the assessment centre? Is it okay if I put it in a Sainsbury's bag? And it's those kind of things that they just wouldn't know unless you had that older brother or older sister to tell you, actually, why don't you put it in a folder, take it this way, or make sure you peel the sticker off your brand new shoes that have the price tag on, or take off the little cuff on your brand new suit before you go into into your interview. And it's those kind of things that are the smallest things, but actually make the biggest difference when you're so new to a world like this. And in terms of the way that employers uh, engage with with your the platform, is it the case study that you just mentioned, for example, is, is it a matter of them then tailoring where they're placing recruitment advertising or how they target specific areas or, or, or groups? Do they then take that information and, and apply it in that way? Yeah, so there's two ways of doing this. Firstly, um, looking at the Bright Network membership, they um, they have the access to the platform. So whether it's representing themselves digitally, whether it's coming along to our diversity-specific events, um, 
pre-lockdown or pre-COVID, should I say, we used to have a, a massive event that happened in Westminster at the QE2 called Bright Network Festival. And we saw highs of around 3,500 people in attendance. Wow. And it was so cool. It was like an actual festival. Um, <laughs> you'd see students queuing all the way around um, the square in Westminster. Um, but those are the core ways of engaging. But that's that's all good and well on the attraction side. How do you actually know if anything's making a difference unless you can look under the bonnet, look at the data and the anal- analytics to prove that a campaign is working? So, again, huge shout out to our team in Edinburgh, our technology team, who've built something called the Talent Tracker, which enables our employers to have really robust data against the profiles advertising their roles or talking about their content so that if you were to dive into that tool you've got quite a nice unique view of looking at the individuals or demographics of people looking at your profile before they even apply so to your original point Raj if you're seeing loads and loads of individuals who are female for for a specific um, job looking at the role but actually when you see the conversion into who's actually applying they there might be fewer females then we know where exactly we can apply the interventions to make sure that we that we remedy that so again it's all about the data it's as much um the more emphasis that an employer puts on the data the more robust their campaigns will be Fantastic. And in terms of your corporate clients, and what is their end, end goal in terms of engaging with you? What are they hoping to achieve? It's such a mix. Some, some of our brands are huge, well-known blue chip um, consumer brands or just, you know, they, they, you wouldn't look at them and think, oh, you have trouble recruiting. Mm. Um, and without naming some very well-known uh, search engines, for example, um, there are often brands that come to us saying, Right. We get loads of applications, but actually we don't want more applications. What we want is a really, really strong group of individuals who would either have never thought to apply to us because they thought they weren't good enough or they self-selected out for other reasons, or they might see us as a place where they don't have those role models that where they see themselves represented. So it's our job really then to take that away, to build the the, the case studies and the profiles to, to make them accessible, but also I think there's a bit of an education piece to our membership to raise confidence, to to encourage them to, to encourage them to get out of their their comfort zones and and you know mm. really think big. And in terms of your membership, then, what are they like? Who are they? Where do they come from? You know, is there? I mean, I'm sure there isn't like you know a a particular you know similarity that runs through all of them. But who are the types of people who who come to Bright Network and want to engage with you and and are are looking for the the resources that you provide. And it'd be great to hear about what those resources are as well. Yeah, I mean, it's such a spectrum. You don't have to be one of those people who have always put your hand up in class. You absolutely (laughs) can be a quieter individual who is looking for your next role in software engineering or who simply doesn't have a clue what they want to do. I think it's around um, 30% of our newly acquired members each year have no idea what they want to do. And that's absolutely fine. Who still does? But with regards to the actual demographic breakdowns, so I mentioned earlier, we've got around uh, half a million in our network. And when you look at the the groupings, I think about 45% of them come from ethnic minority backgrounds, 80% are state educated, 15% receive free school meals, 41% are the first in their family to go to university. I think it's around a third of our network that have studied a STEM subject. 
And when you look into to the details of those ethnic minority groups, I think it's something like um, just between 12 to 15 percent are specifically from black heritage groups. Comparing that to university data like HESA data, um, there's there's a clear uptick in diversity with Bright Network. But it's not because we ever set out to be a diversity network. It's because if you didn't have this kind of a network like your more privileged peers may have done, why on earth would you not join an absolutely free network and boost your own career uh, journey? So um, it's it's not a simple answer. I think you've got every type of individual who might join. Um, and saying that, you know, that there are definitely people on the network who have been to private school and that's absolutely fine because the reason we exist is to support young people in the workforce of tomorrow. And 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 we did we did touch on this in the in the last episode, but as you know, <clears throat> we operate or Raj and I are very much financial services and, and the podcast. We have lots of listeners from the financial services sector. Um, and I know that it's kind of a, a big industry for you as as well in terms of the companies you work with. I mean, any any insights you can share or any kind of trends that you've seen, particularly in, in our sector, um, particularly from the data, would be really interesting. Thinking from the sector that we look at, women and targeting women has always been at the forefront of the agenda. How do we encourage more female applicants, but not only female applicants, people who um, feel comfortable to go through the whole recruitment process um, and actually looking at biggest the biggest barriers to our female members' confidence, um, not specifically relating to the pandemic, but just overall careers. When you compare their confidence levels to their male counterparts, um, we can always see that there's that slight dip in confidence. So I think my tips and my encouragement would be to the finance sector is to think, look, we know the issue, we know the problem, but what can you put in as interventions now that we have the data? Is it that you have specific coaching programs where it might not just be for female candidates, but it might be for social mobility groups and also our ethnic minority groups or LGBTQ plus communities? What can you be doing to show that you are passionate about diversity? Sometimes the simplest things like making sure that your diversity statement on your website is absolutely on point. And if you don't have that visual representation, that's okay. You don't have to make it up. Um, Someone will definitely know if you've made it up when they start on their first day. (laughs) So I think honesty, reaching out and supporting, um, upskilling um, where you see the underrepresentation is the most important thing. And Anu, um, I suppose there's been there's been an increased spotlight on diversity and inclusion and the importance of it in our sector. It's you know one of the reasons that Raj and I set up the podcast. And I, I suppose has that has that led to more companies kind of reaching out to Bright Network or, or, or other similar firms to to try and recruit in a more diverse way? Would you say? Um, I think I think. I think yes is is the answer um, to that in a more black and white way. I think with regards to where employers used to originally look at diversity, it was very much around gender diversity or visual diversity, where you can you can see someone um, is from a diverse group. I think because of last year's um, Black Lives Matter campaign, there's definitely been more of a, an interest in how do we support our black members or how do we support our black employees and how do we attract more black employees um and whilst i don't think it's been tokenistic in the main i think it's a really positive way of outreach i do think that our members are also seeing that and feeling that and just taking um, a step back and perhaps looking at how the graduate audience perceives this 
we know that 92% of our members will consider the diversity and inclusivity of an organisation before applying. Um, that's definitely raised since the, the previous year. Um, and I think it's, again, just really important for employers to actively not run tokenistic programs, but to really think about what does diversity mean for them in both the attraction side of the process, the selection side of the process, but also once graduates are inside the doors of the business. And just you know, following on from that then, so you're working with uh, clients to tailor their recruitment to to reach out to to candidates from more underrepresented groups. How how can you sort of help them then shepherd them through the recruitment process? And then once they've joined the company, stay on the grad program and continue to progress. I guess it's that making sure there's that diversity lens throughout that process that that process. And and really importantly, removing bias. There's, there's a lot we've talked previously on the podcast about inherent bias and some of the traditional um, recruitment and retention models when it comes to to people how do you sort of work with employees employees employers to sort of maintain that diversity lens throughout um it's something that the the team internally do regularly it's about checking your own biases and making sure that you have an awareness of of any biases that that exist but with regards to how we work with our employer partners it's through an incredibly consultative way so whether it's from designing the initial marketing and attraction all the way to the sourcing and screening elements, ensuring that things like blind CV screening is taking place if that's necessary, or um, having multiple layers in the recruitment process, looking at video interviews or other assessment processes, just so that you can eliminate as much bias as possible. Um, I think there is a real onus on employers when they are looking after the the people that they are onboarding to make sure that again like I said previously that's an ongoing journey but where we can support is by I suppose providing that advice along the way but it is incredibly collaborative great and and Annie I suppose kind of final question from me then um it's I suppose you know it's probably fair to say it's not a level playing field out there um are there things we can be doing to to make it more level Thanks, Katie. Um, So looking at our research report, uh, what do you graduates want? Um, We can see that our students this year are feeling so much less prepared to enter the world of work than they did last year, with only roughly around 42% of them saying that they feel prepared. 95% of our members, um, I think I mentioned on the last podcast, uh, really want to be upskilled directly by employers. And given the nature of the pandemic and where it left us, so many employers were unable to offer the standard insight days and and experiences that previously existed. This only becomes more of a disparity when you look at those who have been to private school versus those who are from those social mobility backgrounds. Um, And I think for, for for any students or people at university listening to this, as well as our employers, something that we have massively advocated for in the last year is how do we upskill at scale on behalf of our employer network. So in 2020, we launched something called Internship Experience UK, um, which actually really excitingly became the largest virtual internship um, in the world. Um, I'm not sure if it's still that that, wow. that, that the case, but um, it's definitely had uh, a huge number of applicants. I think we had around 150,000 people apply, of which in the first year, around 70,000 took part and um, passed all of the, the internship and gained a certificate at the end. 
but the point of this isn't just to to go through an internship virtually sit in your bedroom and, and click through slides it's to actually participate it's to meet with employers and it's to gain that experience so that you can put that on your cv so once you're in the real world again and I say real world as in out of the virtual world when you're going into those interviews you've got something tangible to talk about um and I think that that's where employers and and us can really start to level the playing field I love that that's that's really cool what an amazing opportunity kind of taking what uh, yes the way we have to work at the moment right and and, um creating yes just a great opportunity from that all right, Annie, I think we've um, sadly run out of time on today's podcast, but thank you so much for coming back uh, and chatting to us today. Um, really great to hear more about the work of the Bright Network. And um, I guess for, for organisations who are listening in, um, who want to get better at, at recruitment or want to um, you know, think more about how they're bringing in that diverse talent, they can go to your website, um, which we'll, we'll link in the, in the show notes. Is that the best way to, to get in touch with you? Yeah, that would be great. Um, I mean, find me on LinkedIn. Uh, always happy to talk about diversity and uh, graduate <laughs> recruitment. <laughs> Amazing. And and for um, listeners as well who who haven't already, um, do check out the last episode we had with uh, Anu and um, two recent graduates, Harriet and Van, to hear firsthand the experiences of young people just starting out in the world of financial services. Thanks again, Anu. And uh, yes, you're welcome back anytime. Thank you so much, both of you. I had a lot of fun. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening today. If you'd like to get in touch, you can do so at www.riskymix.uk. We'd love to hear from inspirational individuals and companies who are walking the walk and changing the mix in our industry. And if you like what you've heard so far, please rate, review and subscribe to the Risky Mix podcast on Apple Podcasts and give us a follow on Twitter at risky underscore mixed.